Hey everyone, it's Heather. I know you're here to listen to the podcast, but did you know I also offer all kinds of online consulting services? Stuff like webinars, book studies, curriculum training and consultation, and even companion activities for podcast episodes to use for staff development. If you're interested, you can check out my website at www.thatearlychildhoodnerd.com or you can email me at heather at thatearlychildhoodnerd.com. Thanks for listening. Grab your highlighters. Can't find them? They're probably right there in your pocket protector. It's time for that Early Childhood Nerd Podcast. Let's get nerdy. Here's Heather. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of That Early Childhood Nerd. I'm Heather Burnt Santi, and today on the show is uh, with me is Carol Garboden Murray. Hello, everyone. Hi. Carol, I just have to tell the story because I just finished using Illuminating Care as a text for the first time. Um, we used it as the textbook for our just introduction to early childhood education class. And um, the discussions were so amazing. So some of it was just reading it and then we'll discuss it in class and build on it. And some of it was read it and then we'll do this discussion board online together about it. And um, it was so amazing to watch the connections and and read their thoughts. But one day in class, one of the students was talking, you know, referring back to the chapter we'd read. And she said, well, I think I agree with Murray when she says, Oh, I like love Murray. it. <laughs> oh, you mean my friend Carol? <laughs> I love that so much. But it was that so funny. It's like, yeah, she's Murray. Yeah, she says. <laughs> That's like a dream. To imagine that being read to college students is like beyond my wildest dreams. And it makes yeah, me so happy. I hope other campuses will use it. We have to, you I've know, we have some, to. I've got some syllabuses from people in Canada who are using it. Oh, yeah. One who was using it like at a four-year college for like an ethics course. Ooh. Looking at like like um, disability rights and care rights and things like that. Yeah. Well, we added it to our, um, so I'm part of a statewide system of community colleges and there's several campuses and we we have to all agree on the textbook. So I added it um, as a supplemental text so it could be added into whatever class Mm. we want it to be in. So I used it mainly in 100, but I I will probably be weaving, you know, bits of it in makes me so happy in lots of classes yeah well thank you so anyway that was a big long thank you thank you you. that's exciting (laughs) so carol and i are going to talk about um uh, assessment i guess is where this really came from and sort of moving away from i think you called it clinical assessments um to find other ways to to be more authentic in what we're um doing with information that we have about what children are are doing with us. So, um, so it kind of, that kind of led into a discussion of learning stories and Tom Drummond. So I'm just going to yeah. go ahead and read this quote um, from him. And uh, so Tom Drummond writes, there is a dominant discourse in our society that early education is preparation for the future and that developmental psychology with its focus on ages and stages can be the framework for early education, that children need adults to measure and fix them. This dominant, uh, these dominant discourses lead us away from closely examining the amazing events that happen in children's lives every day that show how brilliant and capable young children are. I love that. It comes from a, a, a blog post, an article online that we'll post um, with this when the episode comes out, but every it was also powerful. But just that idea that um, uh, 
the way we currently do things leads us away from those amazing events that are happening. Yeah, it's like, what are we going to spend our time looking at, right? Yes, yeah, and it was so sort of validating for me because I have to teach about observation and assessment and I know what they want me to teach I, you know I know that I know what they want me to do but we end up having discussions that center more on the kind of learning stories and deep um ongoing observation not just today's the day we do our checklist and um, yeah. uh-oh assessments are due next week um yeah. And, and sometimes I feel like when I'm talking, especially when I'm talking to young students, you know, who maybe haven't ever been presented with a different way of thinking about it, I feel like, well, am I exaggerating? I mean, am I, am I making it, these, these little amazing moments to be more than they really are? Like I start to question myself um, yeah. because I'm not talking to anyone who is on that page with me. So this was nice to bring me back to, yes, I should definitely keep those conversations going with people. It's so true. I feel um, insecure about it too, because yeah. we have been trained and I was a special ed teacher too. So, uh -huh. you know, so much, so much uh, with screening, evaluation, right. referrals, assessments, IEPs, deficits. Yeah. Yeah. It was really, really um, such a big part of the way we were trained to look at children. And, and I guess also because I have, you know, I, I've done a lot of training on my own, like gazelle developmental training. Mm -hmm. And I, I do find myself like I, I've learned a lot from a, those formal tools mm -hmm. and um, I incorporate them in the way into the way I understand children, just yeah. little things like knowing that, you know, the, the three-year-old is making the circle and then the four-year-old is, is, is working on those, those diagonals or the or the triangle just little tiny yeah uh milestones that I that I I love those having that knowledge mm -hmm. um so yeah. I, I'm insecure too about like just moving just throwing it all away yeah <laughs> yeah there's definitely a place I think for those mm -hmm. kinds of um, developmental checklists that we tend to use and call it assessment um right? but it's we're do we're doing it in the wrong direction most exactly. of the time I think right it's 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 what don't the children know how to do and then based on that what should I be doing to children <laughs> or making them do instead of oh this is a basic understanding you know like when we talk about developmentally appropriate practice one of the considerations is what do children typically need this at this age or what what might they be doing or yeah. how how can I support that um yeah uh, and that's much, you know, then we move down into what we know about the individuals, which also comes from observing, but we, we get into that. Um, well, it's assessment time. So yep. we're going to yep. spend this week doing checklists yep. and then we'll have conferences next week with this, uh, questionable information <laughs> that we got from only doing one week, uh, watching all these children and, and seeing what they show us and don't show us. And I think that I think just even like using the term assessment, what I've noticed in my dialogue and conversations with educators is we throw around assessment, screening, evaluation. Uh -huh. um, you know, we don't really think about assessment as such a broad, all-encompassing 
way right. that we look at children, that we get to know children, that we enter into the cycle of inquiry when we get interested in something they're doing. Like it's all such rich assessment and, and it's true. We just go back to some checklist or um, it's like we're, we're stuck in that grading and ranking kind of brain. <laughs> well, yeah. And I, I, so I think when we're, cause we're, cause we may not call it this, but to be, if we're honest, we're looking for deficits, right? We're looking for what they can't do that we can then mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, we'll call it scaffolding, but we really, you know, are talking about um, trying to stretch them without any indicators of whether they're ready for that stretch sometimes. But I think the deficit is in me so often. Like, I mm-hmm. I don't know what I should be really looking at, or I don't know how to make the learning stories work that we'll talk about here in a minute, or um, how to make time to do it more authentically. Um, so I'm the one that needs... Yeah some sort of skill building plan. (laughs) It's not the children who need that. It's me. Yes. Yes. It's sort of like you were talking about, I think a couple of weeks ago about people saying that kids don't know how to play, you know, they don't know know how to play the way we might envision play should look and it might not be neat and tidy. Um, And maybe we don't understand that whole long process of learning how to play along with others. I've given them a full 20 minutes of free play and they just just don't know how to use it. (laughs) All these things all over the place. (laughs) That's actually a you problem, not a them problem. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, you, you had some questions that you sent um, to kind of guide the conversation. And the first one was just kind of what is documentation? So that's another buzzword that flies around when we talk about assessment. Yeah. Um, and it usually ends up being, um, uh, again, just, well, I've, I've checked it off on this paper. That's my documentation. Yeah. Um, I've turned in my forms. We've entered it into our system. That's our documentation. Um, what, what would you challenge about that? Well, I was just thinking, like, I think people are so intimidated by the word documentation. And I was just thinking back over my career and I've been, because we've been working on this project at my school, trying to find new ways to assess children. I've been having so many conversations with educators and realizing Mm -hmm. that we, like I said, we have so many ideas about assessment and um, mixing it up with documentation or when does it converge? When, what, you know, so just, just thinking about my journey, thinking about just starting out as a teacher who loved writing down children's stories, right? Mm-hmm. So I was in that Vivian Gusson Paley kind of mindset and writing everything down and writing down their words and their stories and, um, and then just kind of throwing all their scribbles and easel paintings and cool photos that I took of their block buildings, just kind of throwing it all in a, in a Mm -hmm. folder. I would just have this sort of messy process. I didn't really know what I was doing, but I did always have that sense that this is so slippery. It's just evaporating these moments and I can catch them. I can catch their words. Mm -hmm. And I remember just like certain words, like I remember this little girl was telling me about how she was going to be a princess and she was going to wear Paul Nellish. She said nail Paul, Paul <laughs> Nellish. And I remember writing down the words Paul Nellish. Uh-huh. And her mom and I were just so connected over the way that she spoke. Oh, and was, yeah. It's like uh, I, I I started feeling like documentation is so powerful because the way parents were responding. Sure. And because that that tells that parent that you really see her, you really know her individual um, you know, quirks or personality or or uh those kinds of, of um, sort of grammar, vocabulary kinds of uh, 
inventions that they have for themselves. Um, So it gives, it gives, it can give us great information, but it also, yeah, connects in a way that Mm -hmm. going over a checklist at a conference doesn't or or, or can't. So I, I just, I mean, I always had that messy process. And then when I became a director of a school, I, I was trying to help people figure out what we wanted to do, what was our documentation system, how would we be starting portfolios, will we be collecting samples from children, will we be taking photos, so I worked with a, a variety of groups of teachers, and, um, and you know, we read a lot about Reggio, and um, what is the um, Project Zero, the making mm-hmm. learning visible, trying to really understand the purpose of documentation, and, and seeing that authentic way of capturing those moments and seeing significance in what the children Mm -hmm. are doing as our assessment. Um, But it's just, there's just so many ways to look at it and there's so many ways to practice it. It, It's it's just such a messy process in my, in my, in my experience. And that's probably part of the appeal of the checklist assessment Mm -hmm. system is this, it's sort of tidy. We feel like it's inconvenient. You know, it's paperwork we've got to do. We've got to interrupt our day, whatever. Um, but it it is simpler. Yes. Compared to like a learning story where you're watching an individual child and maybe there's a photo and you're writing this, this story essentially for the child and the family um, about what you see happening and what you wonder about what's happening. And um that, I mean, that's a skill that you need to develop. And that at, Tom Drummond mentions that in this article, but so much of what we do, I think in early childhood is about what's, what's the easiest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's true. Turnover certainly contributes to that because you it don't does. keep people long enough to, to really work through that. But um, they hear something like, you know, what you're describing and they think, I can't do that for 24 children. I know. Right. Like, I know. Well, um, what, what do we feel like is important? And you find time for the things that you feel like are important, right? right. And uh, the thing, uh, like last year, we kind of, I, I've been here at this school for a year. So in the spring, we let go of our checklist and for uh-huh. parent conferences. And, and it really did make people really nervous. Yeah. And I, I did feel, you know, I'm a lab school and just feeling like, is this, can I do, I'm connected to the psychology department. Oh, and uh-huh. or, what are people going to think if I'm, you know, not using these the checklist was like yes no or emerges yeah and the teachers were sharing some pretty intense stories about how they all had different uh sort of interpretations of whether to put a yes or a no or emerges in in the checklist which we think is so you know measurable yeah, right and also like how the parents had interpreted it um, uh-huh. and how they had our parents had argued with them like well she does that at home I'm sorry she doesn't yeah. do it at school but I think it you know or not understanding yeah context and so I had at first said you know you can still use that language but let's just not show parents the checklist because I think that they get really hung up and think that Mm -hmm. we're gripping children but then finally we just sort of threw it out and I I found um you know just sort of relying on everything I had read about documentation and regio and and the sort of pedagogy of listening like it could be such a rich practice for us all in my school to shift into this listening, watching mode. And then I found, you know, I found these resources that, that got me excited, like Tom Drummond's um, website, uh-huh. which is just full of really, really good 
um, examples. It helps to see other people's examples, right? Mm -hmm. And um, articles. And there's um, a book, um, a few books by um, in New Zealand by Margaret Carr and Wendy Lee, learning story books. I just got that last fall and I haven't read it yet. Mm -hmm. I know. It's really like, it really gives you um, such validation for Mm -hmm. moving forward with this work. Yeah. And so I feel like uh, we're kind of at the beginning of it for my school, you know, although I've, I've documented and, and, and made portfolios for children in lots of different ways and made panels of projects mm-hmm. that we've done. Um, this is the first time we've really kind of taken on this as a whole school, mm-hmm. you know, um, learning stories as our, as our way. Yeah. Uh, of assessing children and connecting with parents. And I'm so excited about it. Yeah. I, and so you mentioned making learning visible. And I first heard that term um, maybe 20, 20 some years ago in an article with Margie Carter, yeah. in one of her ex- monthly exchange or, you know, her regular exchange articles. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that has always like that, that was immediately mind changing for right? me to, to, to rephrase it from, um, assessment and documentation to making learning visible. So I have to understand the learning that's happening. And then I have to figure out who, who else, you know, what needs to see this or would be interested in seeing this. And um, so there's like, I I don't do documentation panels per se. I do a lot of bulletin boards though, with photos and and descriptors Mm -hmm. or learning stories um, for each child up there. Mm -hmm. Um, And it does um, force me to be in the moment with yeah. children and to think of it in more a terms of, well, this should just be ongoing. Yeah. And then at some point, if I do have to fill out a checklist, you know, because my boss requires it or our funders require it, or I have to, you know, teaching strategies, gold, whatever, I have to enter all this stuff. Mm-hmm. I have much more um, authentic ways of looking at whether I have seen those things than if I just say, like I used to. Well, assessments are due in a month. It's time for us to start observing children. (laughs) And I'm going to give them, you know, one day per child where I look at their checklist and try and see, or I'm going to go by memory and see, okay, I don't think I've seen them do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or, you know, the recency effect. Mm -hmm. We we think about, we think we're thinking about the whole time that we've known this child, but we're really probably only thinking about the couple of weeks within the time you're doing that. So, so you could still do this sort of documentation, making learning visible, using a learning story to tell those stories. I love just thinking about about, about it as storytelling instead yeah. of assessment. <laughs> um, but we can still find ways to work those requirements in if those requirements are in fact required. Um, right. Sometimes we think they are and they aren't really like a lot of things when we get into regulatory conversations, but the thing that, that whole idea about telling a story has been, I think, the most powerful thing for me and the teachers here. And thinking about like what we value as a school, if we value storytelling and mm-hmm. conversation and listening, everything that that means, right? Storytelling, narrative, conversation, listening, connecting, stories are so rich. Mm-hmm. But then if we also sort of think about how a story shapes a child's identity, you know, like that learning stories can tell us the story of the child, mm-hmm. who the child is, and it can also influence who the child is becoming. And just now with this school that I'm at, we have zero to five. 
So now I'm like, imagine the three-year-old with their portfolio reading their learning story from when they were a baby mm-hmm. and how that shapes their identity, yep. how that, I, I, it's so beautiful. It's just, yep. it's such, and what, what is it that we want to say to families about our role in their lives and yep. about, you know, early learning? What is it we want to say to them, you know? Yeah. So, and, and sometimes, um, you know, he, he, in this article, he talks about there not being a right or wrong way to do a, mm-hmm. to do a learning story. Um, I know that some some people, when they do a learning story, they leave space for the family to respond too. Yes. So this is this is an interactive storytelling kind of. Um, and I so I, that always that made me think of programs I've been in where we send a notebook home at the end of the day and the families can write, you know, whatever they think we need. And it's always a report of what they did the night before. Um, uh, but this is again, inviting families to show us their competence yes, and their, um, experience with their child. And we're, um, uh, the connection is deeper and we're getting better information that can help us learn more about um, the child, you know, we ask at the end of the day, well, is anything happening at home? Cause he's really acting weird. And we think that that's asking for usable information <laughs> that we can use, but, but this idea of sharing a story about yeah. their child, I mean, what parent isn't engaged by a story mm-hmm. told by someone is who clearly likes the child and, and is also enthusiastic yeah. about this story. We started the year it's because we got portfolios for all the classrooms. We just got like three binders yeah. um, and we took a big photo on the front, you know, that slide slided in that plastic sleeve uh-huh. on the front. And then we started out by asking, you know, sending um, a, a, a piece, a piece of, piece of paper home to all uh-huh. the families with, it says my family, so they can send in photos. So we were thinking that would be a nice way to kind of get the kids connected to their portfolios because uh-huh. I didn't want the teachers to feel a lot of pressure in the fall to fill them up, you know, to get them ready for conferences. Yeah. I didn't, I wanted to get away from this sort of like scrapbooking mentality, like we have <laughs> laminating things and framing things and making things look lovely because parents are coming for for conferences but more like well let's start with a photo of the child and a photo of their family and and maybe just keep it pretty casual this semester maybe you're punching holes in their work if they are doing some mark making that seems significant or they're beginning to try to write their name or they're making their first scribbles you know maybe there's just a few little artifacts you can save and then maybe we could each write a story for each uh-huh. child. You know, that's been our goal. We could uh-huh. each write a story, a learning story. And it's just, for me, this most surprising thing has been um, my relationship with the teachers and uh, being able to sit with teachers and having, you know, we've come so far with with technology too. So we have platforms where we can share all our photos and we can uh-huh. edit this work and all that. But just being able to sit with teachers and sometimes I would get a learning story I would read it. I would look and say, wow, there's a couple really cool photos there. And those are beautiful photos. And they really did capture something special. And then I'd read what the teacher wrote and I couldn't quite, I couldn't quite figure out why it was significant or how it was really mm-hmm. going to kind of guide us in this mm-hmm. process. Um, and then I would sit and talk with the teacher and she would say, oh, I, I took those photos because this and this and this and this. And because at the beginning of the year, he never did that. And now he doesn't. Oh. And I said, oh my gosh, that's everything. You just told me everything I was wondering. So just encouraging the teachers to really yeah. put it on paper and tell the yeah. story. Tell I bet um, I bet directors or coaches or whoever could use learning stories for teacher development, like write so a much. learning story about the, what you saw the teacher. 
that's what I keep thinking. Practicing and developing. That's exactly yeah. what I think. Like if I, could, if I could get myself grounded, just um, the next phase for me as a leader would just be to observe the teachers and write that right yeah. there stories. Yeah, that's yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah. So I want to, um, like, I don't have a sample learning story if oh, it's yeah. new for people, but I want to just read this opening bit from the article that talks about Tom Drummond noticing things. Yes, for, I love that. Yeah. So um, he's watching Josie, one of his preschool students. Um, Josie pushed the piece of paper as she was painting toward the paint tray until it formed a hill. So you have to kind of visualize you know, in a learning story, there'd be a, a photo maybe. She dipped her brush in the paint, dropped a blob at the top of the hill and watched it drip down the paper. Intrigued, Josie filled her brush again, added another drop of paint to the top of the slope and pushed the paper closer to the paint tray, making the hill even steeper. Josie watched intently as the drop slowly made its way down the bot to the bottom of the hill. And I love this part. In Josie, Drummond saw not only a painter, but also a scientist. Um, and then one of the things he writes in the learning story is, Josie, you discovered how to make paint draw a line by sliding it down a hill. You concentrated on how it moved. You did an experiment and you watched the effect of the hill on that drip that you caused. That careful looking is how scientists discover how things work. You wondered about something and you figured it out. Isn't that great? I think that's so beautiful. I, maybe that's an example. I don't know. I know. I think it's beautiful. It kind of choked me up a little bit mm -hmm. to think about a preschool age child being seen that deeply. Right. right. Um, and, and a teacher having that kind of authentic curiosity and not just, well, that's not what I meant when I put out the paints or, oh, this is going to be really messy to clean up, or she's not going to have a thing to send home that looks like the project I wrote on my lesson plan, you know, uh, all the other things that can distract us as teachers. Um, this was just an adult really being interested in and respectful of something he saw a child deeply engaged in. It really asks us to be in the moment and it yeah. asks us to think of sort of the art of teaching, you know, and, and to be surprised and to be full of wonder, just like we want the children to be. Mm -hmm. uh, all those things it asked me as a, as a leader to, 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 to give the teachers the grace that I give the children too. Mm -hmm. Right. Sure. Because we all have different voices and, and different perspectives and none of us see the same thing. Um, mm -hmm. So it's, it's rich. Um, I was looking for something specific in the article and now I don't yeah. remember what yeah. it was. Were you thinking of the farming stuff? Oh, yeah, let's talk about that a little bit. So they ask him, this is sort of an interview. Um, they ask him what, um, oh, shoot, where is it going? Where is it? Anyway, so they ask him kind of what he sees as sort of wrong directions in early childhood education. Um, and he describes, I'm just going to keep babbling until I find it in here. <laughs> this is excellent podcasting. Um, ah, gosh, he talks about the agricultural method and I thought it was in, a, I didn't highlight it. I thought, oh, here it is. Okay. Um, so they ask him um, uh, about assessments specifically. 
and the way we use assessments in early childhood now. And he talks about it, uh, he, he would like to get away from the centralized control of daily life of children and staff. It's stifling to indig individuals, distracts us from the central importance of what we're doing. And then he says, no one really looks at those forms and files and they take up so much of an educator's day. And he suggests instead we move towards an agricultural model. And he talks about how we don't measure the carrots every day. We don't pull them out and measure and stick them back in if they need more growing. Um, we don't check off carrot growing stages. Um, they emerge from the genetic information in the seed and with optimal care and elimination of toxins, that information can be maximized to its fullest extent. And that's how farmers learn. Um, and I, that was powerful for me. Um, I, again, I'd never heard of, of that, heard that analogy. Um, you know, we talk about planting seeds and we talk about tending gardens, mm -hmm. but um, not in the context of assessment usually. Right. I think it requires us to have faith in human development. Yeah. Right? And, and that's hard to do when you're constantly looking at this list of should be's. Mm -hmm. um, we can look at a checklist of what three-year-olds should be doing, but there's 12 months in being three years old. There's so much experience and practice that the older three-year-old has that the younger three-year-old hasn't had the opportunity to do yet, or just biological maturation that needs to happen. Mm -hmm. um, so I think this is a, such a good connection to make. Yeah. It is. Some of my teachers are writing the stories like just like Tom did, like just really zoning, zooming in on a moment, you know, mm -hmm. yeah. and everyone's um, are kind of kind of looking back over the course of a few weeks, especially for the babies and toddlers when they've had maybe some difficult transitions and they've had that special day when the baby mm -hmm. finally relaxes and doesn't <laughs> drop off. So yeah. And it, so it's, that's the kind of neat thing too, about taking those photos. Cause you look back and you see, Oh, look how the baby's clutching their, mm -hmm. you know, their like transitional object. And here they finally dropped it. And now they're mm -hmm. playing with the water or something. And you can see sort of, uh, you can tell a story also that, that isn't just that moment, but it mm -hmm. is so rich when you can just dive into the, into the, yeah. and describe, describe like he did with the paint dripping, you know, describe the, mm -hmm. those though it just it makes it feel so I don't know so honoring to me because yeah. children are constantly creating they're yeah. just so um imaginative and inventive and it's it's just it's overwhelming yeah. to think about what we can focus on and what we can catch but we can catch some yeah. some, some that's moments. another one of the things that i I talk to with students sometimes and I feel like am I am I being too dramatic about this but I love to talk about the honor of being part of that moment Right. And I believe it. I like, I, that's yeah. how I feel. Um, you know, even like parents will thank me or whatever at the end of the day. And I was like, ah. usually, even when it's sort of difficult, mm -hmm. um, you know, it's still such an honor to be part of those moments. And so this, this sort of system really pulls you in when you get, when you get burdened. But I used to tell my, my teachers when I was a director, the day you're watching the clock should be the day that you're looking for these moments. Like you should, when you're thinking, oh, I don't have a full hour left. Oh, it's going to be forever. That's a full hour that you can spend putting yourself back into the moment with children. Mm -hmm. And what better way to do it than to write down what you wonder about what you're seeing or yeah. Um, yeah. just just to describe in detail what they're seeing. Um, but it, it comes back to, too, and you've mentioned Reggio Emilia several times. It comes back to the image of the child, I think. Yeah, right. Um, yeah. You you have to you have to believe that children are competent and that these little moments happen and are valuable. 
Um, you have to you have to believe that instead of well they are all just sort of walking deficits that I'm here to fix right and yeah. I'm the one with with the skill and the knowledge and I'm just gonna um, impart that and the ones who don't participate then well they don't really want to learn um, and I think it goes like with that emergent curriculum model and that constructivist you know going back to that like it's not if we spend our days thinking about what we're going to teach children you know then we write our, our newsletter about like the the pumpkin theme, or, uh -huh. you know, what we taught them instead of the reverse is what are they learning? How are they learning? What are they showing who me that they, they know? Who, yeah, who are they, right? <laughs> who is the child? Yeah. Um, so there's still this really rich opportunity to talk about what learning is in a way that's probably going to change the way parents see their children too. Yeah. Yeah, so I think the the other side of, of, of learning stories for me is advocacy too, mm -hmm. right? We can, we can um, make that deep learning, that deep wondering. I, I don't think that we can say this is exactly what they're learning. Like I know in this no, moment, this right. is what they're learning, but we can wonder and we can describe and we can talk about what they might be, ex you know, exploring and the specific actions we take and um, connecting that to what's what's typical exploration kind of stuff for this age group yeah. and we can really use that with administrators and co-teachers and um families um to help them to help kind of bring them on board to be part yeah, of that such a freshness like some of the teachers i'm working with are brand new to the field and they don't have a, a big body of knowledge in terms of the developmental stages or anything yeah and just sitting with them has been so much fun one of the one of the teachers um had written a story about this the, he was doing a collage they had gone on a nature walk and they put out some glue and um the acorns and leaves and all mm -hmm. the treasures that they collected and he was watching this child work and he wrote down some of the things the child said about the properties of a glue being icky and oh, gooey okay. and the way the child put his hand in the glue and and then he, the child was asking a lot of questions about the glue itself. Like, where did the glue come from? And can I use it all? And do you have more glue? And mm -hmm. so, so he wrote that story and then we were talking about it. And I was like, so what, you know, again, what is it about this story that is significant? What is, what, what caught you? And, and he said, well, he asked really unusual questions. He, he asked me, I was thinking he'd be focused on the acorns and the leaves mm -hmm. and the nature walk. He's really focused on the stickiness of the glue and wanting to use all the glue and the power of squeezing the glue. And, you know. <laughs> and so he yes. Asked, he asked questions that I wasn't expecting. So then I was able to say to that new teacher, like, okay, well, let's, let's, let's keep looking at him through this lens uh -huh. about looking at the kind of questions he asks. Uh -huh. And, you know, so that day, you know, that teacher was able to write down five or six more questions this child asked. Then they were really good questions and unusual questions. Uh -huh. I was like, oh, that's so great because now, and what do we, what do we want to say about the questions this child asks? And, and the teacher was like, well, it's, it's smart to ask questions and it's, it shows me that you're curious and you're full of wonder. And, and I hope you're always asking these good questions, you know? So yeah. it was just, I don't know. Sounds right? like school readiness to me. <laughs> right, right. So just like the way it was constructed between me and this new teacher, oh, yeah. you know, having this dialogue, it was just, I, I felt it was so heartwarming. And, uh -huh. and to be, then I was looking, I was with him in the classroom, like 
oh, did you hear that question? You know, we were writing down the questions together. I love that. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It's, and then so there's, there, I think there's this opportunity for this rich, like reflective dialogue between mm -hmm. colleagues and between supervisors and teachers. And we give each other, there was another little boy, a, a, a teacher wrote about his kindness. He was so generous in, in such creative ways. I have the story here. Um, do you want me to read it? Yeah. It, it, I'll change the names. Um, yeah. Okay. So I'll say, um, Tom, I enjoyed observing you play and interact with your new classmates on the playground. Today, I noticed you watching two of your classmates, Susie and Billy. <laughs> <laughs> you and Billy are working diligently building your own separate structures with hollow blocks in the schoolyard. Susie is sitting on Billy's building and he is asking her to step away, get out, move away, get down. And she's upset. She wants to be part of the block building, but she doesn't have a spot. You watch for a bit and then you say out loud, I have a seat over here and nobody's <laughs> sitting on it. And that's why I wanted to build it. I just built it. And then <laughs> Susie looks at you and she stops crying and you say, um, you can stay here if you like. And she comes over to your block building and you pat the space and tell her, um, where, show her where she can sit. And then you sit right next to her and you tell her, you can sit here anytime you want to. You can sit here all day if you like to and all night. And if it gets dark outside, <laughs> you can come to my house. Oh, I love it. Oh, wow. <laughs> I didn't read that very well, but it was no, just so beautiful. And then she yeah. has a couple of photos of them. You know, it was just such a moment like this, this child was kind of, getting sad and feeling a little rejected yeah. and not able to figure out how to enter the play. And he was so generous. Mm -hmm. So I read that story. And then that day I went into the classroom and I sat down, they were having snack and he came over to me and he's like, Carol, your butt doesn't fit in that chair. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what? And he goes, I have another chair for you. Oh. <laughs> so I was like, I have this lens. Uh -huh. Like, oh my gosh, he is so like, he's watching. Uh -huh. me, and he wants me to be comfortable just like I just read this story that his teacher wrote about him making uh -huh. a spot for a little yeah. Susie to join him and, I love uh, that so, um, yeah. and it gives the teacher an active role you know like I think part of the part of the difficulty sometimes when we talk about giving children more agency and and re realizing their competence the teachers wonder well then what's my role if I'm yeah. not there navigating that social situation and coaching and giving them language for, then what is my role? Well, my role is to notice it and reinforce it and then share the story with the yeah. child. Like we never think about it, sharing information about the child with the child, unless we're correcting them or giving mm -hmm. them just a very yeah. vague, good job. And, so then, that's and cool. then like, yeah, so that whole idea about storytelling is helpful. And this other idea, some of the teachers are like writing the, the letter directly to the child. Yeah. She, she followed that up by saying, I saw how you felt compassion for Susie and offered her a solution when she saw she was upset. I noticed that you are often thoughtful and caring with your playmates. This isn't the first time I've seen you care for your peers. Gosh. You are gentle and kind in your approach. You're so aware of our classroom. And if there's a conflict or a child's upset, you often make it a priority to check in on them. You know, just like she wrote, she wrote a little like, you know, love your teacher, you know. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah. The other thing that I noticed is that there's a lot of descriptive language. There's a lot of adjectives and adverbs in there. And mm -hmm. we're taught when we're doing ob observations to keep it objective and to not, yes. in, not insert any of that. I mean, I understand we don't wanna be like, he was just terrible and he was right, a, right, being right. a bully and that, but um, there's a warmth in yeah. that 
while it's still authentic and still gives you good information about the child and, and about that child's development um, and that child's priorities. But, uh, but it's, so, so I guess we can maybe step away from some of that thinking too, that it all just needs to be just the facts, ma'am, when we're doing an observation. Right. And, and how do we admire the intelligence of children? Mm -hmm. Right. And, and so, and admire the children themselves and reflect that, that we see, we see their disposition, we see their temperament, we see these learning characteristics, the the desire, the, the, the desire for knowledge, the the, the questions that they ask, all these great foundational skills that are going to take them far in life. And if you go back to the glue and the acorn and leaves story, it's a good example of what Lillian Katz means when she talks about it, talked about a distinction between intellectual skills and academic skills yeah. and how we, we leave behind consideration for intellectual skills because we're so worried about those rote academic kinds of things. Yeah. yeah. Um, but we really saw that little guy's intellectual skills with the kinds of questions he was asking and the way he focused on his own question and not on the teacher's product. Right. Uh, kind of, yeah. Oh, I want to come hang out at your school. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's really, this, I really feel grateful for the joining story work because I needed to connect more with my, my new, you know, educators yeah. and, and it's, uh, they're taking such risks to, uh-huh. to do things differently and um and then I'm so grateful to people like Tom Drummond and and there's that there's a um a whole network it's called salsa it's um support for learning stories in America oh SA there's a group that Uh that did a conference and so it's starting to feel like a real valid assessment Mm -hmm. tool Mm -hmm. that I can Mm -hmm. learn yeah Um, that's awesome Um, I have to go check that out now too. I'd not heard of that group before. Um, Well, before, I mean, we maybe should wrap up because we keep going. Um, But I will say um, Tom Drummond, if you want to go to his website, it's T-O-M-D-R-U-M-M-O-N-D.com. Lots of stuff about learning stories. And um, Salsa is the the group. S-L-S-A. S-A-L-S-A, salsa. S-A-L-S-A, oh, just like the salsa. Yeah. yeah. All right, cool. Do you have anything else? I mean, I know I'm trying to wrap it up a little bit, but oh, was there anything else you wanted no, to talk great. about? Um, no, and I, I guess just that connection between, since I since I wrote that book, um, Illuminating Care, yeah. like I'm excited about the care stories too, in terms yes. of the, the learning moments during meals and and during snack and mm-hmm. and all the 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 ways that we flow in and out of care and education and teaching and learning with children. Like, I think that there's just so much potential to, to show what we value. Yeah. I didn't think about that connection. I, I use it a lot with play to like Mm -hmm. advocate for, for children's choice in play, but yeah, to, to use learning stories in a care context would be, um, really valuable, really effective. And I think, I think also like the work you're doing with schemas and, and like Deb Curtis and Marge Carters, they have zap samples, right? Mm-hmm. Learning yeah. for the visionary director book. It's like, um, it's all coming together for me at this point mm-hmm. when I've been doing this work for 30 years. So I'm excited. Yeah. <laughs> Yay. All right. So, so weird to hear you say um, the work you're doing with schemas. Like I, I don't know that feels yeah. weird. No, it's, it's, <laughs> I think that is, I've been talking a lot, like just 
again with my new teachers like okay yeah. he's lining up the blocks end yeah. to end you know what, what, what would we call that yes positioning or the, he's transferring so that language is helping I think give play its own intelligence yeah and um and I and I think there's like this signature pedagogy you start to develop as a school when you keep mm -hmm. having these conversations yeah um, so it does make me like I, I I think I told you I like I feel like we should have a like a field guide of of I don't know, just ways, not nothing, nothing to take the, 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 the onus or the ownership off the sure. educator to, to be observing. But I just feel like once you start having these conversations with educators, you're like, wow, that's a great way to say that, you know, mm -hmm. or I see what you mean about the marks he's making and the way he's experimenting with cause and effect. I never, I never saw it that way before. Yeah. Or the way that Tom wrote about the scientific thinking that that child's uh -huh. doing, you start to develop, um, I don't know, just a signature way of the language that, that, yeah. that identifies you, right? That gives you yeah. an identity as a school. I love it. I get, I need to buy a lottery ticket. I keep talking about winning the lottery and starting my own place. Mm. Uh, I guess I need to buy the ticket. I can't win the lottery if I don't buy the ticket. Because every time <laughs> I talk to you, I'm like, I need to be back in direct care. I need to be working oh. with teachers and children every day. It is really exciting, but you're doing really good work. I hope so. Yeah. You are. You are. Um, oh, well, this was really great. I can't wait to hear people's responses to this one. I usually get more comments and things from episodes that you're on. So. Oh, that's so um. nice. <laughs> I just feel like people should know it's so like, it's not, it doesn't have to be so overwhelming. You know, uh -huh. I've, I've, I've been trying to figure it out for so many years and it's just a messy process and it, it gets yeah. so exciting. And when you get that feedback from parents, it's just, you feel so connected. I don't know how we're, how we're going to evolve at our school with the portfolios and the parent input. You know, I'm just, we're at the beginning and, yeah. um, and we really did let go of a very clinical model. So mm -hmm. it's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's a little bit risky. It feels brave and exciting. Yeah. I love it. I can't wait to hear more. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, Carol. This was so much fun. I think I said that before, but I'll say it again. Me I mean too. It. I hope you have um, yeah. Thanks everybody for listening and come back again uh, next week for another episode of That Early Childhood Nerd. And that's the show. Now go get your nerd on. This has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh.